But while I may be the first woman in this office, I will not be the last. Strong, confident women have always been drawn to Herrera. It's an incredible legacy. Um, one now that I'm so proud that Kamala Harris has joined this club as well. She looked so radiant and magnificent and that I was lucky enough to have played a small part in that and, and to work with her on it. And with Carolina Herrera um, was incredible and, and definitely one of my career highlights, if not my career highlight. I am Susie Menkes and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders, and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. So how does it feel at age 33 to play a part in the history of America? Wes Gordon, as creative director of Carolina Herrera, dressed Kamala Harris, the first female vice president-elect, the choice of designer and the fresh white pantsuit was a powerful symbol of the new attitude of President-elect Joe Biden. Wes talks emotionally about that historic moment, but also about dressing young actors from the then barely known Meghan Markle through January Jones, Katy Perry and Gwyneth Paltrow. Raised in Atlanta, Georgia, but fashion educated in London's legendary school of Central St. Martins. Wes interned with Oscar de la Renta and Tom Ford in New York before launching his own brand a decade ago. With a passion for flowers and a lively sense of colour, the designer dedicated himself to the Herrera legacy, supported by Pooch, the Spanish fragrance and fashion group. Forty years after Carolina Herrera started her own career, she has passed on to Wes the baton of elegance and style, laced with youth. Hello. I can hear you. There you are. You look fabulous. Nice to see you. It's great to see you. Is that a Christmas tree beside you? It is. I was trying to find a festive spot, so I, I did it here. It looks wonderful. So we're out at our farm in Connecticut, so all the ornaments are farm-themed. So that's my rule for the tree, is everything has to be something that you can find on the farm. So either vegetables, bugs, animals, birds, chickens, um... A skunk. It sounds very yeah. dangerous to invite your friends around. They might eat it all up. <laughs> well, it's the year of COVID. There are no friends coming around. No, that I'm afraid is so true. Right, tell me when I can start with my deep, penetrating questions. I'm ready. I've been prepared. <laughs> I thought I'd frighten you off. <laughs> um, you know, Wes, I have to ask you as a first question, how you felt to be dressing Kamala Harris in a white suit on November the 7th, I think it was, that evening she became Vice President-Elect of the United States of America. As a fashion designer, how did you feel? Did you feel it was a, a part of political and fashion history? First and foremost, my feelings were just as an American citizen and as a human, I was so excited. I was watching the television riveted. You know, after such a dramatic year, and depending on your 
political leanings, arguably a dramatic four years, to sit there and watch President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris come onto that stage and um, accept their victory was a really inspiring, amazing moment that I think gave so many people a much needed boost of optimism and hope. Then the idea though, that, that she looked so radiant and magnificent and that I was lucky enough to have played a small part in that and, and to have worked with her on it and with Carolina Herrera um, was incredible and, and definitely one of my career highlights, if not my career highlight. Well, I think we all felt it was an extraordinary moment, but um, I was looking at the history of Carolina Herrera herself before you came on board and she's had quite a history for dressing strong women associated with the White House. There was um, Jacqueline Kennedy Anassis, Nancy Reagan, uh, Caroline Kennedy, Laura Bush, um, Michelle Obama. Do you feel a sense of pride for the company, for Carolina Herrera, the company, following now in such a great tradition? Absolutely. I think that, you know, Carolina Herrera is a house that was founded, actually, this is our 40th anniversary this year, which is quite incredible. And it was founded by a strong, confident woman. Um, and I think that that's a reason that strong, confident, empowered, fabulous women have always been drawn to Herrera. Um, and it's it's an incredible legacy. Um, one now that I'm so proud that Kamala Harris has joined this club as well. But for sure, every first lady, you know, heads of state around the world, um, and just just women who are not heads of state or monarchs or, or um, first ladies who are extraordinary women choose to wear Carolina Herrera. And I think that that is really, truly a testament to our house's founder. Um, Wes, I'd like to go back a bit, um, not just now to um, Carolina Herrera, the company, um, because you've joined relatively recently, but I looked it up and it's a decade since you moved to London, where you studied at the famous Central St. Martin School, and you then launched your own brand. What do you, do you take away from the artistic freedom of the British college? So I grew up in the States, and I think I knew that ultimately New York would be my home. I knew I wanted to work in fashion and I, I knew that I, I, as an American, would return to America. So it was important to me to go to school somewhere else. I really wanted to um, you know, study in another, another culture, another place other than New York, uh, even though New York has great schools. And I kept reading these biographies of designers that I admired and, and idolized because this was at a time the world was smaller than this was pre-social media. This was before you had access to all sorts of fashion from anywhere in the world. And I kept coming across Central St. Martins in people's biographies, Central St. Martins, Central St. Martins. So I knew very little about it um, other than that it was where I needed to go if I wanted to be a fashion designer. And it became this, this it became my Hogwarts. And to be a wizard, I had to go to Central St. Martins. So I, I, with very little knowledge of it and having not visited before, applied and was accepted and moved to London my first year, I lived in student housing in Allgate East, so right <laughs> off of Brick Lane. Um, you know, this was at a time in London, this was like, this was Hoxton Square, London. This was Pete Doherty, London. Um, this was a, 
a real energy. I mean, London always has an energy, but there was a very specific energy at this moment. Looking at your new pre-fall um, 21 collection, uh, which you just showed last week, you had some references to earlier than that in, in the British fashion world. You had Jean Shrimpton and Mia Farrow, yeah. who, of course, wasn't British, but from the same period. And were these sort of studies that you learned when you were at St. Martin's or was it something that had been in your head for a long time, these amazing women? No, I mean, I think so spending four years at St. Martin's was incredible because you really learned to break rules and play and express yourself creatively. And, you know, you can spend your day going through the Victoria and Albert Museum and then you spend your night on Brick Lane or Hoxton Square. You know, it's it's this incredible juxtaposition of young energy and a, and a kind of perpetual youth quake paired with this incredible historical access to um you know, fashion history. Uh, so in particular, the, the the reference you're talking about this past season of David Bailey and Jean Trimpton, you know, that famous fashion shoot in 1962, they came to New York. It was for British Vogue. And coming out of a decade of, of Cecil Beaton fashion photography and things being very formal and a bit grand, David Bailey and Jean Trimpton ran around New York in the rain, taking pictures on the sidewalk. Um, I think they were in love at the time too. So that adds even another, a little more chemistry to those pictures. And it just feels forever fresh and modern and cool and captures an energy and a spirit um, that, you know, was very um, representative of the 60s and is one that I also think we're about to enter now into the um, the roaring 20s, I like to say, that, that I anticipate we'll be entering into post-pandemic. born in Chicago and, and raised in um, Atlanta, Georgia, so that you must have been sort of opened up by this St. Martin's visit in London um, because you were very quick to run a business, extraordinarily quick. I think it was 2009 you interned with Oscar Lorento and Tom Ford. And then in the same year, you started your own label. For other aspiring designers out there, how did you know you were ready to take that jump? How did you have the <laughs> energy and the braveness? Um, or naivete, maybe. I don't know that it was, um, I don't know if it was the right decision. But, you know, fashion is a, a very unique field in the sense that anyone can start their own collection at any time. If they have access to a sewing machine and some fabric and, and you know, whether it's a, a little bit of funding, even if you're working during the day and you're sewing at night, whatever it may be, for better or for worse, you can start your own collection. Um, you know, you can't graduate law school and start your own law firm. However, in fashion, you, you can start your own line. And after St. Martin's and, um, you know, spending time with Mr. De La Renta and Mr. Ford, I moved to New York. I got a live workspace, very small, down in the financial district before the financial district was cool. And just put together a collection of like 20 pieces, showed it on Fashion Week, not on models, but holding the hangers up. And, you know, one of the first people to see it through a friend of a friend of a friend was Marigay McKee, who was at Harrods at the time, um, and some people from Saks and Bergdorf's. And it just kind of grew from there. And I met amazing people along the way. I had great supporters. I learned a lot about myself and did that for, you know, I think eight years, which, you know, in a business to be an independent fashion designer for eight years, it's the equivalent of dog years, right? The wear and tear and stress, I think that takes on you. So it was incredible in the sense that I learned a lot. I met a lot of people. It led me to where I am now. But if you ask me, is it the right thing for a 23-year-old to start their own fashion company? You know, I, I would say it's very rarely does that work out um, successfully. But still, you, you had the courage to do it. And I, I 
salute you for that. Oh, thank you. I had supportive parents. I had supportive friends. And I, um, I don't know, I guess when you're 23, it's, it's, you know, you, you're, you're optimistic and naive and you think everything's going to be successful. And, um, I don't know. Also, none of us really get into this business because we're brilliant business people, Susie. Like we get into it because we love making clothes and we love beautiful things. Um, and we love playing dress up with people and we love telling stories. Um, and in that sense, it was successful. Yes. Well, I, I, I'm not very good at, um, working out things in the uh, financial way. But somehow, Carolina Herrera herself, I don't know whether it was through her husband, she's always seemed to be somebody who's very much in control of her business. And also, in a way, that's reflected in the clothes that she made, sort of confident and elegant. And, um, I mean, typically, those crisp white shirts, I'm sure she still wears them today, and the black pencil skirt and those statement earrings. And, you know, in for Carolina Herrera, the Duchess of Cambridge went um, to get something and um, she wore wonderful red, bright red um, Herrera coat on that royal tour she did of Canada. I think it was in 2016. So what is the Wes Gordon take on elegance for your generation now that you are in Carolina Herrera's dainty shoes. How can you make it elegant and modern? Her her size 37 Manolo stilettos. Um, it's, you know, I think elegance, unfortunately, has been looked at as a, as a bad word by younger people and younger generations because they perceive it as formal and stiff and stuffy. And I think that's such an unfortunate thing and that's a misconception I would love to correct um, because to me, elegance, and, and it's what you pointed out about Mrs. Herrera herself, elegance is knowing who you are and dressing for you and you alone. You know, I, I, I think that's what great fashion does. That's what the women who captivate and mesmerize and are unforgettable with their clothing, that's what they do. Um, they use what they wear to express and amplify their own empowered selves. So in Mrs. Herrera's case, she wears that white shirt and that black pencil skirt because it's so true to her. She's not doing it for anyone else's approval, anyone else's opinion. She knows she looks fabulous and she's wearing that because when she wears it, she feels like the best version of Carolina Herrera. And that to me is incredibly elegant. Um, you know, I think it's this kind of the social media era that we live in, so much of, of how we express ourselves is done for likes and other people's validation. Um, and I think in 2020, 2021, being elegant is about being true and respectful to who you are and really embracing that. your pre-fall 21 collection um, which you presented on zoom and that i saw two days ago you showed a few pieces which are sustainable and this was something new for me that the company should do that and um can i ask you about your thoughts on responsible fashion and how you are embracing it um at carolina herrera yes i think that's a great question um First of all, yeah, we did. We presented on Zoom. We've had three entirely Zoom seasons now since the pandemic began, which is just, it's crazy. And it's also brilliant how the sales team, the models, production, um, everyone has adapted now. We haven't had a buyer into our showroom since February to actually touch a piece of clothing. Everything has been done. Wow. Um, but sustainability is, is, you know, after the creative concept and the 
beauty and the integrity of a design, I would say now the most important second factor. And we're very much committed to that at Carolina Herrera. Our first step was trying to eliminate um, as much single-use plastic from our supply chain as we could. So we did this over the past three years. We worked with um, a supply company to create poly bags that are biodegradable. So every piece of clothing that's shipped around the world when it leaves the warehouse of the brand and goes to a store, from when it goes to the store to another store or e-commerce warehouse, each individual item is wrapped in a plastic bag. And those bags never see the end customer. They're all ripped off and thrown away. Um, and that's all single-use plastic. So we now use biodegradable ones. So that was something we're proud of. And then this season, we took an even bigger step of trying to hit sustainability goals with our fabrics. So this season, we have about 30% of the textiles used in this collection were created sustainably. You know, the criteria for fabric to be sustainable, it kind of varies by fiber content, right? It's quite different if it's a viscose or if it's a cotton or if it's a silk. But it's, it's regardless, when it's labeled sustainable, it's better for the world than it was alternatively. And we all have such a responsibility right now. Um, and I think we've seen that. We can't sit and wait for governments to, to solve the um, climate crisis. We all have to act as individuals and businesses to do our part to actively make a difference. You're so bold and clear about this. I, I really congratulate you. Maybe it's a generational thing that you are able um, to see things that way. You know, if you have two options and, you know, in, in this case, the mills have gotten so adept and talented at making beautiful, sustainable fabrics. So you're really not losing anything aesthetically. So, you know, you have option A and option B and one harms the planet and one harms it less. You know, I think it's it's quite an easy decision. Well, it's a great decision. I want to talk to you a little bit about your followers. I believe that when you started your own label, you built the brand with some very powerful names, including um, Melina Dunham, January Jones, Katy Perry, Gwyneth Paltrow. I mean, what names these are? Have you been able to bring fashion followers with you since you devoted yourself entirely on um, Carolina Herrera, which was in, what, 2017. I believe that Glenn Close is a keen follower, is that right? Yes, yeah, so I actually, I, I know Glenn Close because I um, was friends with her daughter when I first moved to New York, who's a, a, an amazing actress as well, Annie. Um, and another one that I brought with me to Herrera was um, a young actress used to come to my shows when I did my own collection, uh, Meghan Markle. So who was on Suits at that time. Um, so she, I think she was uh, back and forth between Canada and New York. And when she'd come to town, she'd like to go to fashion shows. And then when she married um, Prince Harry, uh, she reached back out to me. I was then at Carolina Herrera and we made, um, we made several pieces for her. Um, so that was an amazing kind of relationship evolution of, um, you know, obviously she, she um, ascended much further than I ascended, but we both knew each other when we were um, earlier in our careers in New York. Is there one particular outfit that she chose that you still think of today? For her first big appearance, she wore a blush pink wool off the shoulder one um, for the parade. Um, what was it? It was uh, the the changing of the color or the, the, the her first appearance where she rode with the queen and she had the pink hat on and it was an off the shoulder one that became a bit controversial because it was off the shoulder. So that was quite a special one. And then we also dressed her when she was um, on a tour and very pregnant in a beautiful um, paisley print blue maxi dress. So no, she was quite, you know, that was that was a very energetic you know, what was that, a six-month, 12-month period where she was really kind of um, 
at the top of all the headlines. And from a fashion point of view, it was quite an energizing moment. Do you yourself think about when the dress is going to go down the red carpet, when Michelle Obama is going to appear in it? Are you allowed to reveal anything at all? So very often, in many cases, right, it either happens one of two ways. Either they're purchasing a piece of clothing. Um, and I'll be honest, that to me is actually the most exciting thing because the world and the stores are so inundated with beautiful clothes that when a woman, whether she's famous or not, finds something from Carolina Herrera and chooses to spend her money on that, that in and of itself is so exciting and so rewarding. Um, so that's sometimes how these moments happen. Uh, but more often than not, it's because, you know, we, we have a relationship either with the woman herself or with a stylist who helps her get dressed. And they'll come to us at Carolina Herrera and say, we have a very important event coming up. You know, would you be able to make something for this person? And we collaborate. We have a back and forth conversation about what it is they're looking for. Sometimes perhaps they'll reference certain looks from the collection and they'll say, we quite liked the organza detailing of this sleeve, but she's... Um, she doesn't like things tied around her waist, for example. So can we do a looser body? And then I'll do some sketches and we'll send them along to the woman. And, and it'll be very much a collaboration, um, which is quite lovely. And then there are multiple fittings that result. Um, and, you know, even despite all of that, which can take months, sometimes things still never go um, exactly as planned. And at the very last moment, she might change her mind and wear something else. Um, you know, once you pack up that box and it gets sent off, it's entirely out of your control. So our PR team and our design team, we all sit nervously watching every appearance from this person waiting for that dress to make its debut. Um, and then when it does, it's a mixture of excitement and nerves because you feel responsible. You're thinking, oh my God, what if, what if it rips when she sits down? What if some horrible thing happens? The zipper breaks, she injures herself somehow on the dress. You feel this enormous anxiety and pressure until the moment's over and it was a success. Listen, you've shown me the amazing workrooms there in um, New York. I mean, it, they look like something you see in Paris or in Italy. And um, I don't somehow think that the clothes split open after they've been made. <laughs> no, it's not the most rational anxiety, but anxiety is very rarely rational. Um, yes, we have, I think, the greatest thing about Carolina Herrera and my great, great, great joy in going to the office every day is our incredible atelier. Um, you know, Mrs. Herrera founded the brand as a 41-year-old, very stylish woman who had spent decades shopping from the finest designers around the planet in Paris, in Spain, um, in London, in New York. So she started her house very much knowing what a great workroom should look like, very much knowing what an amazing tailor um, should be capable of. And from day one, she assembled an extraordinary team. Um, and still to this day, we have um, an entire floor of a building in Midtown New York, right in the Garment District, um, that houses you know, a small army of, of the finest seamstresses, cutters, pattern makers, all wearing white coats, who spend their day draping and assembling um, extraordinary creations. And it is very much like something you would find in Paris. And unfortunately, um, there are very few examples of this that remain in New York right now.
remember something very clearly that I came into your studio, I think it was about a year ago, a bit more maybe, and um, you were talking to me and telling me about seeing spring appear in California and you were so excited by this. Um, as I understood it, it was about these fields of flowers growing up in front of you. I think you called it a super bloom with flowers yes, from yes. lilies to poppies and brightly coloured blooms. And they seemed to mean so much to you. You described it all and I can still remember it to this day. Well, thank you. I, I, I have to admit, I get very starstruck every time I see you, Susie. So I probably had a tendency to ramble. Um, <laughs> but I am an eternal optimist. And I think that usually, you know, the glass is not half full. It's it's like overflowing. And so I... I I'm so excited about fashion and clothes and, you know, it's, I love colors and I love flowers and I love ruffles and I love clothes that make you smile. And, you know, those are the things that I believe are so intrinsic to the DNA of Herrera. You know, we're not a brand for conceptual three-armed black sweaters and that's fabulous. And I like pieces like that, but it's just knowing who you are and that's not Herrera. Um, Herrera to me is, is the flower, you know, it's, it's, it's after a bleak winter, um, when that bulb, those first bulbs break through the ground and the blossoms open up with just brilliant, saturated colors, that promise of of joy and beauty. That to me is what, what Herrera fashion should be. You know, I, the number of students that I have said too, that you're very clever the way you produce these three sleeves, but don't you think you really have to wait until people have three arms before this is really <laughs> going to work for you? I try to be nice about it. I was rather fascinated by that film you made for, I suppose it was for spring, summer 21, it must have been. And it's that conversation between you and, and Carolina. Um, it came out in the middle of September with the virus still at play. Did you learn from that conversation? It was rather fascinating to hear about it all. Wasn't it also Carolina telling us about being painted by Andy Warhol? Oh, it was fabulous. I mean, so I was very lucky when I came to Herrera to spend a year consulting. So I got to overlap with her for one full year where we really um, formed a a very nice relationship and friendship and I learned so much from her and what anyone who who is lucky enough to spend time with her will vouch for is that she has the most incredible stories I mean you know she is she's an icon of of chic and glamour and elegance uh, for the 20th century in addition to being a brilliant designer um, and the story she has whether they're about Andy Warhol or Lee Radzwell or, you know, Princess Margaret are just, you sit there listening to her just kind of off the cuff mention some of these things and you look around seeing like, is anyone recording this? Who's capturing this history? You know, this was done for Fashion Week in September. You know, things were all kind of crazy in, in Fashion Weeks all around the world. Um, and we wanted to do something to mark our, our historic calendar day, but we didn't quite have our collection ready. Of course, couldn't do a fashion show. So instead I asked Mrs. Herrera if with a very small film crew, it was actually um, Lisa Vreeland, who was Deanna Vreeland's grandson's wife. So that was a nice kind of connection because it was Deanna Vreeland who encouraged Mrs. Herrera to start her first collection. So if Lisa Vreeland and I could come into her house one day, promised we wouldn't make a mess, we'd all get COVID tested and sit there. And if she could just film the two of us chatting and if I could just ask her a few questions. Um, and she was a great sport about it as she usually is and was very welcoming and hospitable. And we just chatted, you know, we chatted as as two people who, who have so many things in common now, but also are so different in so many ways. And, you know, for me, she's, she's certainly an icon and a, and, and a mentor and someone I really look up to. 
So to have that opportunity to sit there and ask her, you know, what is beauty to you? What is design? What is elegance? Those aren't the kind of questions you get to ask someone when you're at a dinner party, right? You know, and those are the moments more often than not that I get to see her now. And it's much more, you know, what have you been up to? Where are you going for the holidays? How are your grandchildren? And it's lovely, but those deep soul searching, real questions about who someone is, you kind of needed a format like uh, an interview like this for me to be able to ask them to her. See what I'm doing? I'm rambling. I'm rambling, Susie, because I'm, you, you make me, I'm so excited to be talking to Susie Mankeys. We can ramble on as long as we like. <laughs> but one thing I think that I ought to talk about and not forget to talk about is pooch. The um, Spanish fragrance and fashion group. I mean, it's been such a support. I mean, the fragrance has been such yep. a success story for Carolina Herrera, and I'm sure is still. And um, I'm interested now that we've entered this selfie culture. Are you yourself interested as much in beauty as in fashions? I mean, so does the whole thing of of um, fashion and fragrance and all these things then for you they're not just extra things are they they're all part of it they're they come from the roots of the company is that right absolutely um absolutely you know the Pouge has been an amazing partner to Herrera for so long and it's it's we're so lucky to um, be part of the Pouge family they've managed to take Mrs Herrera's vision and translated into fragrance in a way that's been extraordinarily successful um the confidential fragrances 212 good girl um, and it all really went back to Mrs. Herrera working with Pouj to try to replicate um, her favorite scent, which was some oils that she mixed. I believe it was um, jasmine and tuberose that she would make her own mixture of these oils and wear them. And people all the time would ask her, what are you wearing? Um, so together they created their first fragrance and now it's grown to be an extraordinary um empire. To your point, absolutely. It's all one and the same. You know, uh, beauty, fragrance, fashion, accessories. These are all the tools we have at our fingertips as human beings to express ourselves and to make ourselves unique and to show the rest of the world who we are and what makes us different and what we like and what we don't like. Um, because there are, you know, we're going on 8 billion people in the world, I think. Um, now more than ever, we need to underline and circle and highlight and put exclamation points after those things that make each of us uniquely us. But you know, as you, you were saying that you wanted to talk more with um, Carolina um, about um, life. You wanted to have a deep conversation with her, not just something at a dinner party. And yet I can remember, I don't know whether you even remember it, that you had a dinner party in London that was shown off in the Wallace Collection Museum. And it was, you launched tableware. I mean, I hope it's now on sale because it was so charming, very colourful, focus on flowers, really uplifting. Is this a permanent addition from Carolina Herrera? So that was a collaboration that I did with my very good friend, who you probably know, Martina Mondadori, who has Cabana magazine. Mm -hmm. And so that was Cabana for Carolina. I, um... I think as our most fashion designers, we're very secretly obsessed with all things home and interior and architecture. Um, and I think most interior designers wish they worked in fashion. And I think most fashion designers wish they worked in home. Um, and I had developed a great friendship with her. And together we decided to do a Carolina Herrera homeware line because it had never happened before. Um, and it felt like such an easy um, extension of our brand codes and our brand values. And together we created those beautiful pieces and I use them all the time. I have a set of the plates. They're my go-to plates. Martina's brilliant and she did a really wonderful job and I had so much fun doing that project. And it's definitely something that I would like to do more of, for sure.
I would like to look forward. Carolina herself um, is known so well for being popular with the Manhattan socialites and high society. She held her first show in 1981. So the company has now turned 40. If you could imagine from now onwards, 20 more years, you stay with Carolina Herrera. How do you believe that the company will and can grow as a heritage brand, keeping up with the old times and yet being modern and being right for the 21st century, because that's not the problem exactly, but that's something that you've got to think about, isn't it? Yes, definitely. And I, I consider that a, a blessing rather than a curse. I think right now to to have the benefit of a 40-year history and foundation is an extraordinary thing to have. Um, and I think it's something that can set you on a path and helps you make decisions and help keeps you... Um, focused and grounded on who you are as a company. Coming out of this year and this pandemic that has been, you know, economically so brutal for big and small designers alike. And unfortunately, we're going to see a lot less designers and a lot less brands than I think we had a year ago. I think the most important takeaway and the most important message uh, for any designer is to focus on those things that you do well and focus on those things that women know to come to you for and that they love you for. And, you know, that's been something that has been really marking our course forward. And what I try to keep in mind now with every product we make is that, is this completely Carolina Herrera? Is this something that only looks like Carolina Herrera? Is this something that our clients can only find at Carolina Herrera? Because if it's not, it just muddies the water and, and it makes that, um, that growth and that survival and that success elusive. But hasn't there got to be some Wes Gordon as well? Um, not just Carolina, wonderful as she is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember when I last saw you actually face to face in New York at your headquarters and, and I, I popped into your newly refurbished Carolina Herrera flagship store on nine. 954 Madison. Yep. Okay. And um, you told me how you dedicated so much time to achieve the right colours and the um, interior pieces for the brand. And what is the personal stamp that you put on it? I know one thing that you have done, you've included some of the glass features, which your partner has personally blown. Are there other little things like that? <laughs> yes, yes. My, he, he, my husband, Paul, is a great glass blower. Um, yes, for sure. I think I... Um, you know, I'm I'm very bold with color, and that's certainly become something I think that has become associated with the house. But I feel very lucky to be at a brand where you know Mrs. Herrera's tastes are 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 not the opposite of my own. They're not a 180, and and the brand codes are not totally different from my own tastes. And sometimes I look at creative directors who go into a brand, and I think how challenging it must be for them because their personal tastes and the history of the house are so at odds with one another that every decision they make must really be a struggle. You know, I feel that I can make decisions without having to think, is this right for Herrera or not right for Herrera? Because, um, you know, I feel like I'm really at the right home where I can, what I choose is is not going to be blasphemous to, to our house codes. One last question before I let you go. I want to know how easy it is as a male designer to follow a female founder. In the end, is it style, not gender, that truly matters? Or is there a divide between male and female that you've encountered? So it's certainly very different, right? Because I think so often that female designer is approaching things from her own personal point of view of how she would wear it, 
how she would stand if she were in this shirt, what she would not like about it, would she want to put her hand in her pocket? And as a male designer, you know, historically, the idea is that the stereotype is that it's much more you're applying that onto a woman. You're looking at a woman and thinking how she should be doing something. So certainly I try to be mindful of the fact that we had a brilliant, strong female founder. And it's very much a house that was founded by a woman helping her friends, you know, get dressed. They wanted to look like her. They kept saying, where did you get this dress? And so finally she said, here, I'll sell you this dress. Um, and the best way that I can do that is is to surround myself with strong, brilliant women. You know, the president of the company is has become a, a fantastic partner of mine and friend, Emily Rubenfeld. Um, I have a brilliant, you know, the stylists we work with, designers. Um, and then also it's to really listen to our clients. My favorite thing to do is to travel on the road and do trunk shows and do events around the country and around the world with our customers. Um, so it's been sad this past year that I can't do that. But actually spending time with women and, and going into the fitting room with them and watching them try something on and seeing if their eyes light up, seeing if their hands reach for a pocket that's not there, you know, seeing all of these things are, are of utmost importance to me being a male at a, at a female-founded house. Well, I think you've done a magnificent job, particularly in this very difficult period. And it's good to see somebody who seems so upbeat and so enthusiastic at a time when many others are feeling very downbeat and sad about what's going on. But I think you were right with your collection that I saw two days ago. To bring in the colours, to bring in the energy, that's what we need. And after all, when COVID's over, and please let that be soon, we're going to want everything that makes us feel wonderful and magnificent and colourful and that life is fun again. Absolutely. Life is, you know, life can always be fun. And I think we all can attest to the fact, Susie, that there is so much stuff in the world. The world is inundated with clothes and plates and things that if we're lucky enough to be creators and have the opportunity to make something new, to put something new out there, you know, I think there's enough gray right now. There's enough to be sad about that we have a responsibility to to make sure that those things we're making and sending into the world bring joy and optimism and color and laughter. That's what we want to hear. It's been great talking to you, Wes. Thank you. Such an honor to speak to you. Thank you for inviting me. Pleasure. And um, enjoy the holiday season now, now that you've produced already this great collection. And... Um, I look forward to seeing you either um, online or in reality as soon as possible. Very soon in the roaring 20s that are coming our way. What a story you have told us, Wes Gordon. We were all moved by the sight of Kamala Harris, so fresh, so powerful and so female. You dressed her as you had done with young movie stars in a way that captured the Carolina Herrera spirit over its first 40 years, but with a new youthful attitude. The subtle mix of your love of nature as seen in the country home of you and your partner contrasts with the sophistication of the New York studio. Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan, music by Yer Zuber, graphics by Paul Wallace, and edited by Tim Thornton. 
To find my articles, visit susiemenkes.com and susiemenkes on Instagram. If you've enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends. You can find me on all the usual channels.